One problem is that we have many holy books authored by the creator of the universe, and they're in conflict. And I'm not the first person to notice that it's a, it's a very strange sort of loving God who would make salvation depend on believing in him on bad evidence. No one can blame me when I say this is a stupid country when 60% of the adults in it think the Noah's Ark story is literally true. Why are we getting our morals out of this book? Why do people follow any of it? More than 40% of the American population, if opinion polls are to be believed, uh, think that the world is less than 10,000 years old. And uh, that's, a, uh, that's a shocking figure. Um, it shows uh, deep, profound ignorance. You, we, we clearly don't get our morality out of our holy books because when you go into the holy books, they are bursting with cruelty. The Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, the Quran, these are uh, profoundly cruel and morally ambiguous books at best. Right, well, good morning. Good morning to everyone. It's great to see so many people back this week. Happy Father's Day. As Joe mentioned, hope all the dads uh, have a great day planned. We're excited that you're spending Father's Day with us. We're continuing in part two of a series that we started last week called Clear the Air. And last week's message apparently caused a lot of discussion, and I got a lot of feedback, and a lot of people were saying we never heard this stuff before, and it's opened our eyes to all kinds of different stuff. So we're continuing that, that series today, but let me just kind of start by saying if you missed last week, as I said last week, I, I kind of prepare, the way I prepare sermons is three-hour chunks. Okay, so my sermons are like three-hour messages, but because people won't let me, they only give me 40 minutes a week, so I kind of divide them up in a week, so... You're kind of coming in in the middle of a conversation, which is okay. I'll try to get you caught up. But the best thing that you can do is you can go online. All right, If you have the internet, you have access to online, and you can check out last week's message. And that way you can get caught up and get the whole message so you don't take anything I say out of context. What we're doing here in this series is we're clearing the air because I believe, and I think you would agree with me, that many people in our world today, and many people probably, like if we're honest, many of us who are sitting here in these seats right now, have walked away from God based on what we think he is or who we think he is. And what I would say is oftentimes people are walking away from God for the wrong reason. And last week we talked about this idea and I introduced this, this word, this category of people that's called nuns. All right, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N. Okay, not those kind of nuns. The N-O-N-E. And a lot of people, in case you don't know what a nun is, that's what society tells us. Nuns are people who would say, I'm not affiliated. Like, there's Orthodox, there's Jewish, there's Muslim, there's whatever it may be. I'm none of the above. And basically, nuns say, I'm not hostile towards, but I'm not really affiliated with. And a lot of people, you may not have known this, congratulations, like a lot of you are thinking that, now you have a category, okay, which is like exciting because everyone has to have a category these days. So, like, there's your category, is what is called the nuns. I hear stuff, either online or from people that I talk to, and I hear people say, you know what, how can you believe in a God who? Or why would I trust in a God who? Or why would I follow a God or read his book who? And I listen to what they're saying and I'm just like, who told you that that's who God is? Like who told you that that's what you have to believe in? And that was our topic last week. We kind of talked about some of the myths about God or the mis misunderstandings about God. And if you believed in a, last week we talked about five kind of gods that we grew up. If you believed in boyfriend God, or you believed in bodyguard God, or on-demand God, or guilt God, or anti-science God? Like, yeah, good for you for walking away. Because I don't believe in that God either. 
But who told you? Who told you that if you believe in God, nothing bad will happen to you? Like, who told you that? I don't think I preached that. Who told you that God has a duty to answer whatever you ask? And that if he doesn't answer, he must not exist. Like, who told you these things? Who told you that you have to believe either science or God? You can't believe both. Who told you these things? This is what we're doing here in this series, is we're trying to clear the air. Because I believe that a lot of people have walked away from a God who never existed. A lot of people today are walking away from a God who simply doesn't exist. And they're not walking away from God because the alternative is more attractive. It's not saying that atheism is more attractive or a godless life is more attractive. But it's I look at the picture of God, the picture of the church, the picture of religion, and I say that's so unattractive that I walk away. And what we're doing here in this series is we're trying to clear the air. And what I'm inviting you to do, if that's you, is I'm inviting you to reconsider. Just reconsider. Reconsider that maybe the problem isn't God. Maybe the problem is me. Maybe the problem, as I said last week, that your childhood faith never grew up. That your understanding of God, which you were taught as a child, which is good, it's not bad. It's like the whole, last week I said when we say, where do babies come from? As a child, we say mommy's tummy. But as older, that belief has to mature and grow. And if it doesn't, you're going to struggle in medical school. If you believe babies came from mommy's tummy, like you have to have a deeper understanding. Well, a lot of us are operating with God based on a mommy's tummy understanding. And it's not that God is not and doesn't make sense or God is no good, but it's maybe our childhood faith hasn't grown up. Maybe, as I said last week, your fact questions, you keep getting faith answers to. You're asking fact questions. How do we know? Where did this come from? You're getting, just believe, just believe, just believe. So you say, you know what? And you walked away. Well, I'm inviting you to reconsider that maybe you walked away from a God who doesn't even exist. Today's topic. Today's topic, let me tell you. When I was preparing for this series, this was the one circled on, on, on the calendar right here. That this one's a game changer. And I'm telling you right up front. That this one, if you grew up in church, what we're going to talk about today may be traumatic for some of you. And maybe this is not what we were taught. This is not how we grew up. This is a game changer. But maybe if you walked away from God, maybe this will be the message that gives you permission to say, okay, you know what? I can walk back towards God. We're going to talk about the Bible today and our view towards the Bible. This past week, I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts, I don't know if you call them sermons, lectures, whatever, from atheists. People like I spoke about last week, like Richard Dawkins. People like Sam Harris. People like everyone's favorite, Bill Maher. And I'm listening to these people speaking, making, they're all very eloquent, very well spoken, and they all make a strong case against why, or for why, or against Christianity, why only an idiot would be a Christian. That's basically the premise. You could summarize all, only an idiot would be a Christian. Only an idiot would believe what these Christians believe. And as I'm listening to them, I find myself, as probably you, if you're a Christian, you find yourself getting heated, and you automatic response is, you want to defend yourself. You want to respond back to what they're saying. And then I say, hey, wait a minute. And I'm listening to that. All of their argument, I shouldn't say all, 90% of their argument, 90% of these three guys that I was listening to, 90% of most people who walked away from God, 90% of it is based on one simple point. One simple point. That if we clarify this one simple point, and you know what the funny thing is? As they're talking about this one simple point, that only an idiot would believe this, 
I'm listening to it and say, you know what? That's not what we believe. And what we usually do is we respond back and say, no, that's not true. We just take the opposite position. Instead of maybe what we need to do is take a step back and say, hey, wait a minute. Do we really believe what they're saying that we believe? And are we just arguing because we want to prove they're wrong? Or what do we really believe? And the topic we're going to talk about, as I said, is we're going to talk about the Bible. And I'm telling you, if we address this one area, you can solve a lot of people's problems with Christianity by addressing this one area. But like I said, this is going to be a difficult topic. So here's what I'm asking up front. I'm asking up front everyone to focus with me today. Focus with me today. Next week, you can, you can distract it and go online shopping while, like, count the light, like, whatever, okay? Do that next week. Don't do that today. Because if you do that, you might misunderstand something that I'm trying to say. You might misinterpret and hear me say something that I'm not really saying. You got to take the totality of what I'm saying. Because I'm going to kind of give the disclaimer up front that I'm going to talk to them, but nothing is against what I'm saying up front, okay? So stay with me and focus. Here's our main message, okay? And I'm going to break it down throughout the rest of our time. The foundation of our faith, Christianity, is not the Bible. The foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. The foundation of our faith is not the Bible. The foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. When we were kids, we learned the song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This was the start of all your props. <laughs> Not that Jesus doesn't love you, the first part I agree with. But what I want to say is, the reason that we know he loves us is so much greater than the Bible tells me so. And many of us were taught as a child and still to this day, and I, again, I, I understand this, this may be foreign to a lot of the way we were raised. We turn the Bible into something it is not. We turn the Bible into the foundation of our faith when the Bible is not the foundation of our faith. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And I'm going to try to break that down. I'm going to give you lots of different statements to kind of say the same thing in different ways, but just to try to make my point. Say it this way. Christianity is not based on a book. Christianity is based on a person and an event. On a person and an event. Many of us grew up saying or being taught the Bible is infallible. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible is, watch this one, this is the most dangerous of them all. The Bible, every letter is inspired by God. That's dangerous. And I know you're saying like, all those things are true, aren't they? Well, no, 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 Just, let's go slow here. Islam teaches that their book was dictated by God. Meaning that God appeared to the prophet and told him, write this. That's why they don't translate it. That's why you can't read the Quran in other languages. It has to be because it's God's language. And we as Christians... And in zeal and effort, which is so good, which is to defend our faith, kind of said the same thing. No, our book is that way. But that's never been the true understanding and the true teaching of the church about the Bible. We do not believe that the Bible is letter inspired. We believe that God inspires people. Not inspires, like, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not God's secretaries. Put an N here. No, cross that out. That's, that's, that's letter inspiration. And if you believe that, then you have to read the Bible in the original language. You can't translate it to English. Because then, is the NIV or the You can't believe that. What we believe is that God inspired a man named Matthew. God inspired a man named Isaiah. God inspired a man named Moses. And spoke to Moses. And spoke to Isaiah. And spoke to Matthew. And revealed stuff. And then they go and write it in their own language. Some in Hebrew. Some in Aramaic. Some in Greek. According to what they saw. But there's a big difference between the two. And I'll explain as I go along here. 
In a zeal to defend the accuracy of the Bible, we created a false alternative. We said, you either believe every single letter of the Bible is 100% true, literally as it is, or the whole thing is false. We created a false alternative. That you believe everything it says, and everything is true, and if one thing is not true, then the whole thing is not true. And because we were raised that way, we end up defending things that sometimes we don't even know. Then we go to college. And someone in college makes this question. And we were taught that the world is 6,000 years old, or 10,000 years old, or whatever. And in college, they tell you, only an idiot would believe that. And here's evidence why, that we know the earth is millions and billions of years old. Then we go home to our parents. And we say, I learned this in school. And they say, we don't believe that. We believe what the Bible says. You go back to school. And they tell you, there's no way Noah could have fit all those animals in that ark. There's no way every animal could have fit in that ark. And you go back home. And your pastor, your priest, your Sunday school teacher says, we don't believe that. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. You're asking fact questions and you're getting, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And you're led to believe that our faith exists because of the Bible. And then when you start to question a piece of the Bible, then you think to yourself, well, I have to question the whole faith. And if I can't trust this letter in the Bible, then I can't trust the whole, and then Christianity becomes a house of cards. And it all falls apart. That's because you built your faith on a book. And Christianity was never meant to be built on a book. It is built on a person, not a book. A person and an event. And the good news for you is this Christianity built on a book is not the ancient faith. Has never been orthodoxy's teaching. That's a modern version. Like I said, that's a, that's a very... Where we are now, Islam says this book, we fight with our book. Science says this, we say this. And it's kind of like this, proving. But that's never the way the ancient faith was. Orthodoxy was always built, don't misinterpret what I'm about to say because it's going to sound bad, but don't mean it this way. Always built on something much more reliable and stronger and endurable, which is the person of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of our faith. I love the Bible. <laughs> The Bible is an integral part of my life. You should read the Bible every day. You should memorize the Bible. You should join the learning group that is studying the reliability of the Bible today after church. Okay, we have a learning. These are all good things. I'm not against the Bible. But what I'm saying is sometimes in a good effort, we make the Bible into what it is not and never was and never meant to be. And we end up doing ourselves a disservice. Let me ask you this way. Did the Bible lead to Christianity? Or did Christianity lead to the Bible? Did the Bible lead to Christianity? Like Islam came from a book. A book started a religion. Is that the way Christianity was? Like Christianity came because God gave us this book and then all of a sudden we follow it and now we have Christianity. Let's do a little history lesson. Before I do the history lesson, let me ask, I'm sorry, before I do that, let me, let me say this. Christianity doesn't view the Bible. The Bible and Christianity is like your birth certificate in your life. Did your birth certificate cause your birth? Did they come up with a birth certificate that says, August 29th, 1976, this boy is going to be born, and then all of a sudden I popped into the air? Does the Bible give birth to me? I know it's silly. I'm sorry, does my birth certificate give birth to me? Or does it simply document the event of my birth? 
The Bible is the same way. The Bible did not give birth to Christianity. It simply documented, especially in the New Testament I'm talking about now, documented the birth of Christianity. Let's go history lesson. We'll go back to the year zero. What happened in the year zero? Jesus was born. Roughly. Okay, historians nowadays say that Jesus is most likely born in 3 BC. So Jesus was born three years before Jesus was born. Okay, but let's just go with zero, okay, just for round numbers, okay, but most dated like three. Jesus is born in year zero. He lives and he dies in year 33 AD, okay? That's where he dies on a cross, buried in a tomb, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, Holy Spirit came down. As soon as the Holy Spirit came down, the disciples who had followed him for three years saw him crucified, ran away like as far as they could. And then all of a sudden when he rose, they came back to him, spent 40 days with them. He lived, he, he left. Holy Spirit came down. The disciples then said, oh my goodness, what we have seen over these past few months, this is big. This is big. This is bigger than anything the world has ever seen. Like they took to the streets and they said, they said, hear ye, hear ye. I got big news for you. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Day of Pentecost. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you have crucified and put him to death, but God raised him up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. They hit the streets. They said, guys, extra, extra, read all about it. Son of God comes to earth, dies the most gruesome death. Y'all killed him. God raised him. We ate with him. And now it's time to say you're sorry, <laughs> repent, and believe. Biggest news that ever hit the world. It's time to say you're sorry, and it's time to join us as we follow him. They weren't talking about, follow us because we believe in a six-day creation. Follow us because a man named Noah fit all the animals in the ark. They weren't saying, follow us because the story of Moses we know for sure. I'm not saying none of those things are true. I'm not saying those things aren't true. I'm just saying that wasn't their message. Their message was, Jesus born, Jesus died, Jesus rose. Now come follow us. The result of their preaching, Acts 17 verse 6 tells us, Story in Acts 17, don't worry about when they dragged Jason, some of the brethren, to the rulers of the city. They cried out saying, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Think how incredible this is. The early church, Christianity in the first century, with no technology, with no means of communication, with no means of transportation, took the message and in, in, in their own words, turned the world upside down. How? What were they preaching that turned the world upside down? The reliability of the Bible? They were preaching Jesus' death and resurrection. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people embraced this message. Not only embraced the message, say, you know what? I'd like to come to your church on Sunday, have a cup of coffee, enjoy my Father's Day. They said, I'm willing to risk my life. I'm willing... Because religion, uh, Christianity was, was not allowed state religion. You were persecuted. You were killed. I'm willing to risk my family, risk my life. Why? Not because of the Bible, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As this is happening, they're going around. They're going to Asia and preaching. They're going to Italy and preaching. 
They are going to all over the Mediterranean Sea, uh, that area, preaching. Going to Egypt, preaching. Going to North Africa, preaching, 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 preaching. Some people said, this is good stuff. This is really, really, really good stuff. We need to write this stuff down. So people, like Matthew, like Mark, like Paul, said, you know what? We need to get this stuff written down. The church had already gone viral before it was written down. But you know, we need to document this stuff. And each of them separately. They didn't collaborate. Say, okay, you talk about this and I talk. It wasn't like that. It was Mark went to North Africa and said, I need to put this stuff down in case they kill me. I need to tell the people what I witnessed by my own eyes. Luke said, you know what? I need to do a thorough study of what's going on right here and write this stuff down. So people know where Paul come from and how he became from Pharisee to Christian because he saw the resurrected Christ. And he started to write this stuff down, write this stuff down. Not only did they write this stuff down, but incredibly, people saw the value of those writings and they started to make copies. Now you say, what's the big deal about making copies? No, no, no. We have all the technology in the world. We don't even use copies and we just take pictures. But let me ask you a question. As easy as it is for us to take pictures and make copies, back then, making copies was very time-consuming and very costly. Very time-consuming and very costly. There were no printing press. There were no copy machines. You make copies. What do you make copies of? What do you make copies of? Just any old thing? Oh, here's some junk mail. Make a copy. Here's yesterday's newspaper. Make a copy. You make copies of stuff that you don't want to lose, that you see is really, really, really important. And they started making copies at a very high cost to themselves and to the church. Don't miss this. This is very important. This is very important. The church didn't make copies because they believed they were inspired. They made copies because they knew they were true. The church didn't make copies of what Mark wrote because they believed it was inspired. They made copies of what Mark wrote because they knew what he wrote was true and what John wrote was true and what Paul wrote was true and what Peter wrote was true and what James wrote was true. Some people, again, those guys, will argue the validity of the New Testament and tell you, how do we know the New Testament is true? And they're, they're basically anyone who questions the validity of the New Testament, I'm talking about the New Testament, I'm talking about the Old, will we'll center their argument on two main points. And both of them show an, in, I don't mean this in a bad way, either unreasonable and unwilling to know the truth or just plain lazy. Two points. Number one, the dating of the New Testament, that they were written so much later, and therefore they're not valid. And that's just plain lazy. That's just someone who doesn't want to do the homework. And number two, they'll say, there's so many variations. What Mark wrote is different than what Matthew wrote. And there's so many variations. And again, either you don't want to listen to the truth or you're lazy. Let's start with the dating of it. Anyone who is reputable will tell you that the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the epistles of St. Paul, which just take those just by themselves. John wrote much later, Peter a little bit later, but let's just take those. Anyone will tell you that those all date to within 30 years of the resurrection of Christ. Anyone will tell you that within 30 years, the epistles... Especially, like the Gospels were a little later, the epistles of Paul will date to within 15 to 20 years after the resurrection. So anyone says, the New Testament is made up. It's just legend. Do you think that you could spread a legend about a man dying and rising from the dead within 10 to 15 years? Like, legends usually take one to two generations to pass for people to believe it. Like, if it's completely not true, then the people who lived in that time would be like, that's not true. But maybe, you know, a hundred years from now, people would say, okay, you know, we don't really remember. Maybe it is true. But no legend spreads across the world 
in 10 to 15 years of when it actually happened. That's just lazy. Especially because not only did the disciples write early on, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul, not only did they write early on, but they wrote in the presence of hostile eyewitnesses. People who had an agenda to say, this, what they're saying is not true. Like if what Matthew wrote about Jesus rising was not true, you had a ton of people who had an agenda and a desire to say, this is not true. But they couldn't. You know why? Because it was true. Let me show you how, 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 how much effort the evangelists went to to write the historical details of the events. Look at this. We're just going to choose a passage from Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 is one of those genealogy passages, which we usually don't read. We just kind of skip over and so-and-so. We, got so, we just kind of skip over that stuff. But look, look what it says right here. And just you tell me what Luke is trying to say here. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, when Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. Why does he write that introduction? What is he trying to say? You know what he's saying? Fact check me. He's saying check me. Fact check. Like what he's not saying is a long time ago. Uh, back in the day. In a galaxy far, far, far away. That's not what he's saying. He's telling you exactly when it happened. He's telling you exactly what, who was the king and who was the governor, who was ever. He's saying, fact check me and prove to me if I'm wrong, I double dog dare you. St. Paul said it this way. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaking about the resurrection. He says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Watch this. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep after he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. What he's saying is, if you don't believe me, ask James, ask Cephas, or ask the 500 people who live in your neighborhoods, go knock on their door and ask them if they saw the resurrection. He didn't tell them, ask them if they believe in the story of creation. Ask them in the story of the, the, the Red Sea, the walls of Jericho. He said, do you see that Jesus rose from the dead? Go ask them. What I want you to see is that St. Paul, St. Luke, all the evangelists, they weren't writing a book about religion. They weren't writing a faith book. They were writing a book about a historical event, which is Jesus' resurrection. You know, when St. Paul says, that the 500 brethren at once, the greater part remain to this day. Do you know how many 500? Have you ever seen a case, like I love lawyer movies. A few good men, like I love these kind of movies. And there's nothing stronger than when you're making your case and the eyewitness gets up there and says, but I saw this. Nothing like eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony, that's the strongest. Do you know what it means to have 500 eyewitnesses in a court case? If each witness spoke for 15 minutes about what they saw, do you know how much testimony that is? That's 126 hours. That means that if we were to start a case right now, no argument, no faith, no religion, no nothing, just eyewitnesses, 
We would start a case right now, and I would bring witness number one to come up here and talk 15 minutes, and then two, and then three. We would be sitting here all day today, all day tomorrow, through the night, all day Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We'd finish around 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning. Not a people preaching belief, but eyewitnesses who say, yeah, I saw him. I ate with him. I talked to him. I touched him. Some people say, well, maybe it was a hallucination. You know what an atheist psychologist said? An atheist psychiatrist, sorry. An atheist psychiatrist said the following. That if actually Jesus did not appear from the dead, but made 500 people have the exact same hallucination at the exact same time, that's an even greater miracle than the resurrection. <laughs> because you can have a hallucination or I can, but for us to have the exact same hallucination at the exact same time and see the exact same thing, that's an even greater miracle. <clears throat> when the disciples preached, when they wrote about the resurrection of Christ, the result was, this is on the day of Pentecost, when they preached, Jesus rose. You killed him. God raised him. Now say sorry and believe in him. What was the end result of that? And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and 3,000 souls were added to them. Why were 3,000 souls added to them that day? Not because they believed, not because they had faith, but because they knew what he was saying was true. Let's go back to the Bible. I said earlier there's two arguments. People say the dating of it. I just told you the dating is nonsense eyewitnesses. The other, date, other problem people say with the New Testament, the gospel accounts of the resurrection, is there's so many variations. There's so many variations. We don't know what happened. Matthew wrote one thing, Mark wrote nothing. Like, so many variations, they must be making it up. Okay, let's, let's discuss that a little bit. Last week I said this in the Sunday sermon, as what I'm about to say, and then a police officer who's a member of our congregation took, came to me and confirmed exactly what I said. So sometimes I make stuff up and then someone with, with authority said hey, what I'm saying is true. If a police officer goes and an event happened, someone came and robbed a liquor store, and eyewitnesses saw him, and the, and the eye, first thing the cop does, okay, this is what he told me, is you separate the witnesses. And if you separate the witnesses, and one says, a tall man was the robber, Another man says, a man with a hat was the robber. Another man says, a man with a brown coat. All contradictory. All contradictory? Are those contradictory? No, they're, they're, they're complementary. They complete each other. They don't contradict each other. They fill the story. We can assume from that there's a tall man with a brown coat and whatever, a white hat, whatever I said. They're not contradicting one another. The same with the Gospels. One said he saw the ladies, and then he was on the road to Emmaus. Another said he saw the ladies, and then he was in the, in the room here. Well, we can assume there. We can assume that he saw them, then he saw them, then he saw them. Or maybe the order was switched. But we can, we're not contradicting each other. In fact, it's the opposite. If you find witnesses who are separated from each other and have the exact same details of every little event, that's when you assume, wait a minute, something sketch is going on. Then there's some corroboration going on here, and then y'all made up a story together. It's when they're too similar. That's when you see that there's some... But in fact, the complementary nature shows the validity because they didn't write them in unison. And in addition, two things in there. Number one is that all the variations of the New Testament are not like secret. Like, don't watch those stupid Discovery Channel things that tell you the secrets. Like, that stuff is nonsense. Anything that is different variations in the Bible, you know where they're written? In your Bible. If you have a Bible with footnotes, it'll tell you. An earlier manuscript says this. They're not hidden. And the other thing is, they don't make any difference in the story. Like, it's not like one says, Jesus was crucified. Another says, like, he fell off a ladder. Like, (laughs) 
Back to our timeline. Zero, Jesus born. 33, Jesus crucified, rise from the dead. Apostles take this street and say, y'all are not going to believe what we just saw. Y'all are not going to believe this. You are not going to believe this. They started to go, like I said, they traveled Asia, traveled to Europe, traveled to Africa, they traveled all over the place. Christianity is now spreading like wildfire. It is spreading in an environment, shockingly enough, that is very anti-Christian. Morality is not Christian, and persecution is at its highest point. You have horrible people like Nero, like Diocletian at this time, killing and threatening all Christians. Yet despite that, Christianity grows and grows and grows. Year 312, a man named Constantine defeats all his enemies and takes over the Roman Empire. By this point in time, like I said, Christianity had spread so much. Even though Constantine wasn't Christian, his mother was Christian. And this is a big deal. Because his mother was a Christian, even though it was illegal to be a Christian. And what did the Romans believe? The Romans believed in the gods. And the Romans believed that the emperor was like the, the messenger of the gods. And if the messenger of the gods was not pleasing to the gods, those gods were not merciful. Those gods would smite thee down. So Helen, the mother of Constantine, not only believed in Christianity, but she was willing to risk her own life and her son's life. Because as far as she grew up, the gods would smite her son down for her mother not believing, for his mother not believing. But she became a Christian. There's no Bible in the story yet. There's no Bible yet. We don't see the Bible yet. The Bible hasn't, hasn't appeared in the picture yet. Year 313, Edict of Milan. Constantine makes Christianity legal. This is an important point. Most historians will tell you that Constantine was a shady character. He did very good things for Christianity, so we're not going to shoot him down. But he made Christianity legal not because he believed, not because he was a man of faith. You know why he made Christianity legal? Listen carefully. This is before the Bible. He made Christianity legal to unify the empire. He said, I got people over here on the north, the south, the east, and the west. I need to unite them. What is the most common thing among them? It was not paganism. It was not the Greek gods. It was not the Roman gods. By the fourth century, what had united the empire was Christ and his resurrection, which was being preached all over the place. So that's why I can say with confidence this. I can say with confidence that Christianity and the church made its greatest strides in the 300 years before the Bible even existed. Am I against Bible? No. I love Bible. I read Every day that I don't read the Bible is a day that I'm missing my daily bread. Bible, Bible, Bible. I'm all about the Bible. I'm the Bible. But what I'm saying is we have to be honest and say... That the Bible didn't come. You know, the Bible that we have now didn't even come into existence as we know. It wasn't compiled together. Different parts were kind of scattered. It wasn't until the year 367 that Athanasius, our patron saint around here, is the first one to ever document these. This is the canon of Scripture. These are the books that are inspired. These are the books that are in our Bible. It wasn't until 367. By this time, Christianity had already spread, become the official religion, not based on the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, but based on Jesus rose, Jesus rose, Jesus rose. And in fact, if we're going to be fair, even in 367, may have had a list of the books of the Bible, but people did not have Bibles in their hand. It wasn't until the printing press in the 15th century 
15th century that people actually had Bibles in their hand and could read it. But before that, what did they have? They had faith in the person and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why the religion, Christianity, spread all around. Say it this way. Before the Bible was compiled, Christianity had already replaced the pantheon of Roman, barbarian, and most Egyptian, Egyptians always have to be the difficult ones, and most Egyptian gods, and become the official religion of the Roman Empire. So with that said, Jesus loves me, this I know. Not because the Bible tells him so. It's much better than that. Imagine someone would come to Peter in the first century. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Jesus rose! Jesus rose! Believe! Repent! Believe! And they say, hey Peter, just didn't meet you. Before you go all in on this Christianity thing, did you know that the earth is actually billions of years old? And couldn't, couldn't be what the Bible says? Did you know that the walls of Jericho may not have fallen the way the Bible says they fell? Did you know that Moses crossing the Red Sea, the Red Sea may have been even just a river or a lake? Did you know? What do you think Peter would have said? What do you think Peter would have said? I think he'd have said the following. I think he'd have said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not sure exactly what you're saying, but I know this. That I walked with him for three years. And I talked with him. And I sat at his feet. And I was there when he died. And I was there when they whipped him. I was there when he carried a cross. I was there when he died. And it was the worst day of my life. And I cried and cried and cried for three days. And I'd never felt worse in my life. And then there was a knock at the door. And these ladies came talking crazy talk. Saying, the tomb is empty, the tomb is empty. And we said, oh no, they stole the body. So me and John, we went to go check it out. And we found the tomb is empty. And someone said, didn't he say? And we said, no, that's crazy talk. And then we got back to the room. And there he was. And I touched him. And I ate with him. And we went fishing by the Sea of Galilee. So I don't know all this crazy talk you're talking. I don't know about how Noah fit all those animals in there. I don't know about worldwide flood. Like, I don't really understand that stuff. Like, I was raised to believe it, and I do believe it, but my faith is not based on you proving and me proving the worldwide flood. My faith is not based on how many animals Noah could fit in that boat. My faith is based on I saw him die, I saw him rise, and you know what? When somebody predicts their own death and resurrection, you kind of go with what they say. So I'm going with him. Because I believe everything he said. Because he called his own death, he called his own resurrection, and he said he's coming back. And he said that when he comes back, that those who believe in him, those who repent and believe in him, he's going to take us to a great place. And those who reject him are going to see some rough days. So I'm going with what he said. For the first 300 years, the debate of Christianity was not about a book. Nobody debated a book. They debated a person and an event. Do you know how long 300 years is? Let's talk about how long 300 years is. Who was the president 300 years ago? Who was the president? Anyone know? Very good. There was no president because there's no America. There was no America 300 years ago. 
So that's a pretty long time to not have the Bible. But Christianity is never built on the Bible. It's built on Jesus Christ. On his life, his death, and his resurrection. The debate of the first 300 years when the church was at its strongest was not, is the book true? The debate was, is he alive? And if the answer is yes, that's Christianity. A guy named Matthew said, oh yeah, he's alive. A guy named Mark said, oh yeah, he's alive. John, oh yeah. A fire-breathing Pharisee named Paul, who made it his life goal to kill all Christians and kill Christianity. Because even I can't deny, oh, it's true. I don't know anything about the Red Sea. I don't know about the walls of Jericho. I, I don't know anything about the book of Job. Like, I, I don't know about that stuff. But, oh, yeah. It is true. And because it's true, the world is upside down. And because it's true, people all over this place are risking their own lives to be part of it. Not because the book is true, but because Jesus is risen from the dead. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, St. Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that blank, you will be saved. What's the blank? You believe in your heart that Noah and the flood was literal, that the world was created in six literal days, that the walls of Jericho fell. I'm not saying none of those things are true. But what I'm saying is that's not the foundation. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here's my point of today. I'm sure I've thoroughly offended some people. But let me say this. I'm willing to risk offending some people for this one thing, just, just, just this one thing, and then I'm done. If you walked away, listen carefully to me, if you walked away because of something you read that you couldn't quite reconcile, if you walked away because your professor told you something in the Bible that you just can't fit it together, if you walked away because you said, I can't accept 100% of the Bible as it's written right there, all I'm saying is that maybe you could reconsider. Because Christianity is not based on a book. Christianity is based on a person. And if it's true that he was born of a virgin, and if it's true that he lived a sinless life, and if it's true that he was crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, rose on the, from the dead on the third day, ascended to heaven, if those things are true, then what else is true? That he's coming back. And when he comes back, when he comes back, those who believe in him Lots of good stuff waiting. The issue isn't Noah. The issue isn't creation. The issue isn't Moses. Those aren't the issue. The issue is Jesus. He is the central figure. He is the foundation of our faith. Him as a person. And an event, the resurrection. So maybe, just maybe, you could reconsider the reason that you may have walked away. Let's stand together and say a prayer. <laughs> In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the faith that you have given to us, which stands on your incarnation, your crucifixion, your death, and your resurrection. And those things, Lord, we know are true. And those things, Lord, the evangelists wrote, not as faith books, but as history, as fact. And I pray, Lord, that anyone who may have walked away from you for the wrong reason, that you would work a work inside our hearts, Lord, and show us what this is really all about. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we heard here today and to build our faith on nothing other than you and your person and your resurrection. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. The prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.